you've got to find people that have been in other industries that have already been disrupted, that they've lived through it, they've even led through it, and they can bring it to, you know, they know what good business looks like. It's just we're going to do it in a new way. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insights series, where James Robert Lay interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to the 189th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Todd Feldman to the show. Todd is the founder and president of Rocket Factory, and for more than three decades, he has remained at the center of performance-driven strategies, creatively operating at the intersection of business and technology. Welcome to the show, Todd. It is so good to share time with you today, buddy. It's great to be here, and I look forward to diving into some conversations around uh, disruption and market volatility and ways that banks and credit unions can figure out a way forward through the craziness. Absolutely. You know, a lot of times when things are challenging, one of the best things that we can do as individuals, as teams, as organizations is be the light in someone else's darkness, be the rock that they can cling to. And a lot of times when you take a light and a rock and you put them together, what do you become? You become a lighthouse. And so before we get into talking that up, speaking about, you know, bringing the light, what is good? What is good for you right now, personally or professionally? It is always your your pick to get started on a positive note here. Well, first of all, it's all good, you know, and you know, life's good. My kids are good. You know, family's doing well. As I shared with you offline, you know, we started the rocket factory right at the doorstep of the pandemic, which didn't quite help make progress. <laughs> and but one of the things we did, we did do was we, in, the, in 2020, we had held an event called Spark Jam 2020, which was a whole event for Virginia, small business, restaurants, travel, hospitality, music, live events. And what we did was brought together, was, at the time, it was a very unique and novel idea. This was June of 2020, where we had this whole online kind of call it a festival. We did live music too, which is pretty cool. We had a bunch of panel discussions and we had like state universities with it throughout Virginia who participated in our startup ecosystem. What I realized though, is that we did a really great job in that day of, of talking about the problems, but we didn't do a lot, a lot of solving of the problems and you talked about this light you know the light and this whole idea of creating a spark in this darkness is something that's carried forward we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go forward but you know it's very hard when you're in it to get your way to see your way out of it and what i'm excited about and what gets me fired up is we've been able to create something that and we'll provide that advice here uh, just a, a way of thinking that that maybe will help break people free from their the day-to-day chaos that everyone's kind of living in still. Yeah. And I think this day-to-day chaos, it's not going to go away anytime soon. I remember back in early 2020 when the pandemic was just coming out, I I always said, buckle up, buttercup. It's going to be a bumpy ride. And I think this decade is one that is already proving to be the case. 
and you see this, you go back and you study you history and history repeats itself. And I think the best thing that, that we can do is approach the chaos. You got to calm the storm. You have to calm the storm. You have to calm the chaos so that you can begin to see clearly through all of the muck. And a lot of times that conversation transpires maybe on an annual basis. If we're lucky, you know, we do strategic planning. And I know in a recent article you published, you, it caught my attention because you noted, number one, strategic plans fail 70% of the time. But number two, that's, that, wasn't, that wasn't what really what caught my attention, but it's for context. Number two, it takes two years to find out that those plans are, are off track. So to begin, wh- why do you believe this is the case? Because it's the I see this in financial services. What's the problem here when it comes to strategic planning? So it's not even something I believe. I mean, if the numbers weren't there, I wouldn't say it. The, uh, the problem is there are a lot of things up front that can be identified for the reasons why plans fail. And for the reasons why it takes two years to figure out, a lot of it has to do around people and the and executive teams understanding that, gee, in order for us to go in a certain direction, that we can no longer operate or have our teams even constructed in a way that we have in the past that has worked in the past. There's a lot of other things, you know, we talk about the reasons why plans fail, executive teams keeping it to themselves. And they, you know, it's only for like the people that need to know. We don't involve frontline people to, to you know, in the process and create buy-in and lasting uh, stickiness, if you will, of a plan. So there's a lot of it that can be handled up front that is acknowledged as like, yeah, this is going to be something we want, we need to do. But when it gets down, we choose not to because it's too hard, you know. I, I want to address that. You know, a lot of times strategic planning is done at the hierarchical level, executive teams, boards of directors. They go and they lock themselves in a room for a day or two or three days, and then they come out. It's like, ta-da, here's the plan. But you're tapping into something that I'm really starting to see value creation come from, and it's involving we'll call middle management. It's even involving the front line. Maybe it's just simply having the conversation, doing diagnostic discovery, and then bubbling up that thinking to the top for further consideration, because that makes people feel included. This has been written about in a book titled Open Strategy. It's been written about in a book titled Humanocracy. Both I highly recommend. And it really is reshaping the way that we operate within an organization it's collaboration at its finest, but what do we have to do to break free? And we use this, you know, in our pre-conversation to break free from maybe the old mental model, the old world of executives, boards guiding this to now include others within the organization, at least at a minimum, simply have a conversation around roadblocks they see, opportunities that are available to overcome those roadblocks. Where's the path forward here? Well, the first step is you said the word or you said the phrase mental model. And it the, the probably the absolute most important thing to, to understand and to work on is within an executive team, mental models. And this is mental models are how you perceive the world. You and I could look at it. We could be walking down the street and look at a dog, right? And you love dogs and have always had dogs growing up. And I have been bitten by a dog. 
And if you walk down, you're going to go and you're going to pet that dog and play with them and maybe even roll around on the ground with them. me. I'm going to avoid the dog. Now, it's still a dog, but we have a different perception of what that dog is. You have that you have this thing in even amongst executive team members where everyone has different mental models. It's just how life is. We all bring our filters to work. We bring our filters to our social settings. The first step is to gain alignment on mental models, alignment on what it means to be strategic or what it means to change, because that could mean, and if you don't talk about what we mean by change, then you're never going to get a shared understanding of change. And we have, again, we you kind of alluded to diagnostic. Our diagnostic that we have up front helps to create alignment of those mental models. And it's all rooted in this idea of, we know why plans fail, so let's diagnose based on why we know plans fail to see where everyone's mental model is in a room and then and then we can proceed but we've got to we have to have alignment first even amongst executive team members or even between the board and the executive team and CEO so that's step 1 yeah is aligning on mental models yeah and and i think the other thing too that ties closely to mental models is habits the habits that we bring into strategic planning or the habits that we bring into quote unquote collaboration, what role do habits, because habits are just repeated patterns or actions that have, you know, come from past experience, right, wrong, good, bad. I think we can just look at this very objectively. And I think that's the goal here is to start taking things from more of an objective standpoint and removing some of the emotion out, which is easier said than done, but it's through, I would say, facilitation that is possible. So, you know, when in in conjunction with mental models, what about habits? What role do habits play in this strategic thinking, innovation, collaboration process? And where might people be unaware of the habits that they're even bringing into these exercises? Well, so mental models are behavior. And so it is based on habits and, you know, systems thinking. Um, There's a group out of Cornell uh, University called named uh, Cabrera Research Lab. I just recently wrapped up some work with them and and got some training through them and been studying systems thinking quite deeply. There's a whole idea around understanding each other's perspective. And it's not just the perspective of like me, but it could be also you could take the perspective of let's say I'm going to plan. Let's say I have a new product, a new financial services product, a new deposit product or whatever, a new loan product. And I want to understand the loan product from the perspective of not just from the business side of things, or maybe even from the board's perspective, but what about that product's perspective itself? Like, let's get really kind of think deep, right? It's like that loan product's perspective on serving that member and their needs. Like, Systems thinking requires us to take all perspectives to try to get to common mental models, common understanding, common path forward to to kind of create a system. I mean, if you look at an organization, one of the biggest things you could look at is how is an organization structured and are they in silos, right? So is, is marketing different since we're talking about financial services, is marketing different than lending is, you know, are they separate? Is your you know, is call center different from lending? You know, it's a system is what a system does. So yes. if the system is we're going to operate as a silo, guess what? 
or in silos, it's going to operate in silos, and that's the system. You can't have it like that any longer. It doesn't work. There's a whole, you know, you can go into like also like from a management structure perspective, like command and control. Command and control, you know, your does not work anymore. And I know we all want to like hang on to these models of days of yore, but command and control doesn't work anymore. People are organizations are complex adaptive systems. So that I'll are made up example. of people that are made up of people that are with a compl- complex, yeah, which is where the compl- really- it's a multiply. It's a complexity. People are a complexity multiplier. <laughs> right. So if you give people simple rules uh, to follow, um, they will follow them and then they can act as a system. So just very briefly, an example is like the wave. You go to a stadium and we're all sitting there and we're watching the wave go around. And I don't really know what to do, but I know that I have to stand up when the person next to me stands up and I have to sit down when the person on the other side sits down and I got to raise my hands. Well, when you, that's pretty damn cool. Okay. So that's all I have to do is, and, and then if we take a step back, you watch the entire stadium creating the wave, but the only rule as individual people in the stadium is I have to sit up, I stand up and sit down. Organizations are the exact same thing. If you can give organizations if you can give people a set of simple rules to operate in and create a framework for which them to op- for they can operate in to meet the vision of the organization, that's all you need to do and manage it mm. that, that way. It's like, you know, obviously, a, you know, with financial services in particular, very conservative typically, but, you know, you're seeing it happen all over the place with people resigning their jobs and, and, and other things that command and control, just people are not into it anymore. And it's been, you're having like, resignate, you know, great resignation type things happening. Digital growth is a journey from good to great, but sometimes this journey can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. The good news is you don't have to take this journey alone because now you can join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs who are all learning, collaborating, and growing together. Visit digitalgrowth.com slash insider to learn more about how you can join the Digital Growth Insider community to maximize your future digital growth potential. Now, back to the show. You know, I've seen organizations transform beyond this approach to command and control to really go from a, a disconnected to interconnected way of operation to go from silos to emergence. I want to roll this idea of systems thinking back because it's been an area that you've been studying for the dear listener. Like maybe they've heard of systems thinking. What does that really mean to them? Because once again, we I think we need to help give them a framework of what systems thinking is, number one, and then number two, why is systems thinking important when it comes to strategy, innovation, collaboration? So number one, what is systems thinking? Let's start there. As a society, we've gotten a certain training through our own education system. This is going to get deep. I'll try to keep it brief, but we're always like, like we're teaching kids right now, study for the test. You know, get them ready for the test. They're memorizing their, and then they can regurgitate it on the test. And then it's so, and we all, and I was raised the same way. Like, like I came up through school. I'm assuming you did as well. We don't really teach people these days how to really, when I say think, break it down. Like, like what are the distinctions? What are the thing? How, what are the pieces and parts? 
And then how are each of those pieces and parts operating together? What is the perspectives of each of those pieces and parts? And then and what are the what are the rules that we can do to put them back together and have them operate like a system? If you just think of a car, you know, if I blow a piston in my car, engine's done. <laughs> like it, it, it's the one, it's the piston. So we're doing it to our people, right? Where our people are, you know, we're not taking care of the people at times or we're trying to operate in a command and control environment, or we're not putting you know, certain groups together that can benefit the overall organization. And so you've broken a piece of the system and therefore the system, whether you know it or not, is, has broken down. Sometimes it's too late or you find that you see it late in uh, like business results or something. Like I think you're hundred percent correct on this because I make the case that in the world that we're moving to a digital first world where AI will continue to take on the mundane, the repeatable processes, the task, it's not going to replace people. It's just going to let people do even better work. But what's, what gets commoditized there is the quote unquote, the doing. And therefore what becomes the more high valued work is the thinking. Although the challenge lies in the fact that we many, many have lost their ability to critically think because of the conditioning of the education that they've received up to this point. Therefore, the opportunity going forward is to really empower people to get that creative, critical thinking skills back. It's You can relearn this stuff. It's a muscle. And the more that you work this muscle, the stronger that you will become as an individual as teams are made up of individuals, and then ultimately as an organization, because organizations are made up of teams. So what's your take on this of like, you know, using this idea of thinking, critical thinking, creative thinking, strategic thinking as a muscle to strengthen over time? So I think it's got to be, it's got to be facilitated to get, I mentioned Spark Jam 2020, which was the event we held in, in, in June of 2020, thus the name. And we turned that into Spark Jam sessions. And Spark Jam sessions are that they are meant to, they are problem solving, systems thinking, strategic planning sessions that bring together all levels of an organization. So imagine an executive team kind of setting out to set the big objectives for an organization, but we're not going to, like the executive team doesn't need to flush out all the ideas in those business objectives. We now bring in the subject matter experts that live within that organization at scale. And we facilitate those sessions at scale. And then we come back with a roadmap based on what the executive team set out, what leadership set out as the structure they want us to follow. And then subject matter experts bring to the table, well, here's how we could execute those big objectives. And we come up with business ideas that go within each of those. And then there's a roadmap that gets output and the executive team gets to weigh in on that roadmap at the end. And so it's this whole idea of can we change the paradigm of how we think? Again, we're using words like systems thinking and mental models and all these things can be very intimidating terms. The bottom line is we just got to like, like literally put things together and create a new way of you know, kind of helping people to think differently. 
I'm going to expand upon, upon that idea, not just put things together. I would say first you bring people together from different points of view. Yeah. And, and, and it really creates, and it can sound like a bit of an eccentric idea. And I know that's a scary subject to start tiptoeing into, but I always like, you know, teetering on the edge of, of scary because I think it's in those moments of fear that some of the greatest growth pr- pr- sprouts from. But Napoleon Hill, many know him for his work, Think and Grow Rich. There's another great book, works of his, out, Outwitting the Devil. But he writes, has written prolifically around this idea of what he calls the mastermind. And the mastermind is when you bring two or more people together, you know, to solve a common problem. It's like you get an exponential effect. It's almost like a battery. You're adding to, you know, these different cells and the battery grows stronger. And it's through this. What holds organizations back from even broaching this subject of what we'll say, you know, masterminds or collaborative thinking, bringing people together. It, we, we, we touched on the silos before, but maybe it's a little bit deeper than that. What, where's the fear here? There's a couple of things. So one is, and I've observed this in many different industries that I've participated in my career. I think I share with you, I just, you know, my last full-time gig was a chief marketing officer at a major Virginia credit union, but I, or a large credit union here in Virginia, I, a lot of times when you have, we have industries that have been, when you have industries that have long tenured people and they are comfortable doing business in a certain way that often requires them, especially in this new, you know, kind of, I'll call it the new economy or the, you know, whatever you want to call post, you know, we're not even really post COVID yet, but, but this new way forward, or maybe the things that have been happening for years and now we've been accelerated due to a pandemic, you know, you've got to, You've got to have a, you got to have an appetite to be able to change the way you're thinking, but you've got to do it in a way, of course, that's rooted in good business practice. And so I think to get down to what you're asking, it's like a lot of it's fear and being uncomfortable and the fear of being uncomfortable. And I think a lot, and then you can get really, we get super deep and think about, well, if I'm a leader and like I'm a CEO and I'm uncomfortable and then I like, I'm fearful, even though I'm not expressing that outwardly to my team, although heaven forbid, I actually show some vulnerability with people, which by the way, you CEOs out there, be vulnerable. It's okay. People will respect you more. That's where a lot of it occurs. I think the other thing is a lot of organizations. And one of the questions we ask in one of our, in our diagnostic, which we call smoke test is, do you hire from without, do you hire outside of your industry? So industries that keep hiring people, well, you must have financial services background. You must be from, you know, another bank or credit union or whatever. It doesn't work. Like you've got to find people that have been in other industries that have already been disrupted, that they've lived through it, they've even led through it, and they can bring it to, you know, they know what good business looks like. It's just we're going to do it in a new way. You know, that's, that's, those are opportunities for folks that are listening. You know, I, I want to stress this idea of vulnerability because I do believe that is part of the transformation and exponential growth process. I wanted to define what exponential growth is first. Exponential growth, and, and I'm writing about this in book number two, Banking on Change. Exponential growth is where one is growing both personally and professionally 
at the same time. I think, you know, his, historically we've thought of, you know, I have this work life over here and I have this personal life over here and that's called work-life balance. But COVID has shown us that I think the day of work-life balance is, is over. It, it really, it, it's work-life integration. And, you know, if we're struggling personally, we're going to be struggling professionally. If we're struggling professionally, we're, we're going to be struggling you know, personally. And so there's that vulnerability piece. And I've seen this. I've seen organizations, CEOs, boards start to get a little bit more vulnerable. And I'll be the first one to admit, you know, here as a leader, the more I know, the more I know I don't know. And so it's this like, and that's okay. I'm cool with that. Yeah. Because it's like peeling the layers of the onion back. And, you know, I even think about this idea of failure. If we can just reshape failure, and I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer, like, you know, you, we're either winning or we're learning. Like, if you take loss and failure out of the equation and you get comfortable being uncomfortable, I just had a credit union who's in our program, they shared the other day, and we were reflecting back over the previous 12 months of progress, and one of the things that they shared we're finally getting kind of comfortable being uncomfortable as an organization. I was like, the fa- the, the fact that you have self-actualized awesome. that is is really putting you in a great place because the alternative, and this is back to an article that you recently wrote, it, it was a quote from Jim Keyes in 2008, who was a blockbuster uh, CEO. He said, neither Redbox nor Netflix are even on the radar screen in terms of competition. And that was from 2008. And Fast forward, what is it, 14 years later, we know how the story played out, but we it's a matter of awareness, and it's helping people see things differently than what they saw before, because here's the thing, when you see things differently, what happens? You begin to think differently. You can't ever go back to seeing things the way they were before. It's about really bringing, I say, the future into the present moment. And I want to do that with you here. Let's bring the future into the present moment. And and as you look ahead uh, towards the future, when it comes to strategy, when it comes to innovation, collaboration within financial brands, within banking, within credit unions, what are you feeling most hopeful and excited about? I think a lot of banks and credit unions, I mean, certainly there's a lot of talk in the industry about digital transformation that seems to have been being talked about for quite some time. I think a lot of industries get very excited about buzzwords and innovation. And, you know, I'm not really a big fan of buzzwords. Digital transformation, I think, is like a, a term that it gets oftentimes gets confused on what it really is. My biggest thing, the thing that I preach is sustainability. So I, I don't want transformation to be a project, a program, a set of initiatives. I don't want innovation to be a separate department that lives off on the side. The problem with that is that you know you have cultures inside innovation that then you try to bring it back into the rank, the main organization and just becomes a whole other part of the pro it becomes a whole other thing that have to integrate it back into the organization. Mm. If you're creating sustainability, if your focus is set out to the future, you're saying, okay, well in five or 10 years, this is what sustainability looks like for our business, then if you set that as your, you know, and you state the vision in a very clear, concise way and you create a mission that meets the vision. And I don't mean a mission statement that's 20 sentences long. And a lot of you out there have those types of mission statements. It needs to be something that's very clear that your employees can embrace, love and repeat and measure every day because that's going to meet the vision. If we create all those things and we do those things, we will 
naturally innovate and we will naturally transform and we will follow what consumers want. We will follow what our employees want. And we'll, you know, and there'll be, and those two pieces, consumers and employees, will remain connected to that vision and to that mission. And you'll move forward as a business and be there for the long. That's that's very well put. Let's get real practical, Todd, as we begin to wrap up here to turn some of this insight, to turn some of the thinking that you have shared today into action, to give the dear listener a path forward, something small, something simple, so that they can move forward along their own journey of growth with courage, with confidence. What is one small thing that they can apply? What can they do next on their journey when it comes to applying the thinking you've shared here? I think go around and you know take a look at your organization and look for areas where things may be, because it's always been that way, separate or different. You know, like say, like just talking about sales. Let's just say sales and marketing. And in your organization, in, in financial services, sales are generally going to be loans, and marketing is going to be marketing. And it depends. You know, we can get into defining what marketing is too, and it, that'll be a separate discuss, a separate discussion. But the whole idea of marketing driving loan applications, and so that lending can do can get better leads, call it better loan applications that can convert and book. If there are areas where for perhaps you're not working together tightly to actually measure that together, or maybe you're even compensated the exact same way, you know, good leads, good loan applications equals accept, you know, approval rates that are high and hopefully dispersal rates if you have, you know, capacity to make sure you're dispersing the loans. Putting all of that together, that is like a, you know, that's an easy, I call it an easy one. You've got to get people there, but but it's, it's it, you can look at the business you can go find metrics all over the internet about the opportunities to put sales and marketing together to you know within within banks and financial you know financial institutions it's aligning your marketing efforts with those business generators and drivers but not just saying it and not just have marketing in one side and lending in another area it's how are you sharing the metrics and how are you building that growth you talked about scalable growth that you just you know you were talking about that's how you get the scalable growth. And so step one would be, you know, look at how things are structured today, pick one, and then have a meeting with your folks and say, okay, if we didn't have any constraints, if, if like, if like we didn't, there was no issues with regular and obviously regulatory stuff you always got to work about, but just park regulations for just a second, park, park the way we've always thought about things for a second, you know, for just a, a few hours, you know, in a session. If we could put it all together, if we could do something without constraint, what would that look like? And then as and then let's create what that could look like. And then let's now introduce the constraints back in. And by freeing yourself of the constraints, you can then, as you add them back in, start to say, okay, well, that's part of the work we need to do. We need to figure out, okay, we've got regulatory concerns or we've got organizational structure concerns, or we've got like managerial because this is this person's area and this is another person's area. Well, how we work on that, you know? So ultimately, if you're trying to build sustainability, then it requires you to think without constraint. And that'll be where you land on, okay, we're adding constraint back in. Now, how do we, how can we innovate and how can we transform to meet an objective or, you know, that we held in a, in a constraint-free type of meeting? That's great. That's a great point right there. We've had a good conversation, Todd. I appreciate the thinking 
uh, and the knowledge that you've shared, what is the best way for someone to reach out and continue the dialogue and discussion that we've started here today? I mean, GoRocketFactory.com is the digital home of Rocket Factory. And so I, you know, that's the best place to go. There's a lot of great content there as well. So if you're looking for some stuff to, to read or want to hear a little bit more about how we think, and then of course you can always email me through GoRocketFactory.com as well. GoRocketFactory.com. Connect with Todd. Learn from Todd. This has been a great conversation. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been a lot of fun, buddy. Love it. Thanks a lot. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.